Well, this morning I want to go back to uh, Revelation chapter 3. And this morning we'll be looking at uh, the church of Sardis. And uh, this particular age of church history covers a very important aspect uh, of church history that uh, is, is really foundational really to our uh, nation uh, as a whole. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but of course, uh, as usual, uh, when the Lord uh, lays out uh, these scriptures about these churches, he does so in a familiar pattern, really, over and over again. You, you can almost, in every case, there's a little bit of tweaking that would need to be done in some cases. But for the most part, every church has an assessment that the Lord gives. Uh, and then he gives a solution to the issues that, that he has raised, not, not the pastor, <laughs> but the Lord. Um, and then he gives a promise or he gives a reward that if you will adhere to the counsel of the Lord Jesus Christ, these things will happen. And uh, that's why when we look at what's been written there in Revelation, that's why we can see that not only this is talking about you know, a specific church in the very first century of the church uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, which it does. Uh, these churches are all located in, in what is modern-day Turkey. Um, and... Uh, it encompassed the area uh, known to them as Asia Minor at the time. But we also, again, we see that these are types of churches, uh, types of churches that will be found in every age. But it's also representative at large of an uh, age of church history. And so again, he gives us seven ages or church ages of history. And, uh, you know, I believe we are in the latter, I, you know, where we are living today, we are in the latter of that church age. Uh, but today, we're going to go back uh, to this Sardis church, which is representative of an age. Uh, in particular, it's, it's representative of, of the age we would call the Great uh, Reformation or the Reformation Age. And it encompasses roughly about 200 years from 1500 to 1700. Uh, you know, there might be a question of a few years here or there, but basically it covers a 200-year period of time. Um, so uh, let's dive into that this morning. Uh, Revelation 3, if you would find it, if you're not there, uh, give you a few seconds there to uh, find it, a few seconds because it's the last book. So, you know, if you don't have to do a lot of flipping. If you're in the maps, you're too far, just go back toward the front, you know. So uh, Revelation chapter uh, 3. Uh, and we believe the Word of God is God's Word, right? Uh, we believe from the beginning, even through the mount, okay? We believe uh, that God's Word is inerrant. It's infallible. And so Revelation 3, we'll begin in verse 1. If you will, uh, this morning, let's stand as we honor the reading uh, of God's Word. Beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 3. Uh, and to the angel or the messenger of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God or complete. Remember therefore how uh, you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. 
Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. In verse 6, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, uh, this morning, Lord, we're, we're here to hear from you. Uh, Lord, I, I, I hope not, I don't think so, but I hope not, that anybody has showed up today to hear me, Lord. Uh, God, this is your word, this is your truth, uh, the truth. And God, I pray that you would give us understanding hearts and minds to hear it and God to act upon it out of obedience. God, I confess to you this morning, Lord, that on my best day, I am still a man clothed in flesh. I've not arrived. Uh, God, I am your work in progress as we all are. So God, this morning, Lord, use me to faithfully preach your word, to rightly divide it as a dying man to dying people, and may you be glorified, honored, and praised. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. So again, in, in mind of the outline that I mentioned uh, previous there, that God gives an assessment. He looks at the church and he'll say, uh, you know, this is what you think, this is what I think, uh, or this is what I know to be true. This is my assessment. And he'll go from there. Now there's some unique things, as in every church, that are, you know, proprietary and unique to this specific church. Uh, you know, Sardis, for, uh, for instance, the name itself uh, means remnant or those escaping. It was interesting, though, that I found in looking at that term, the Greek word that's used there, Sardis, uh, that there was, uh, there was some who used the term to describe uh, people of great joy. Or, or uh, I think one of the translations was that the name meant the prince of joy. And I kind of thought about that for a moment. First of all, if you are escaping something uh, that is uh, terrible, uh, bad, uh, I, that, that would lead a person to have joy in their heart. Uh, the idea of a remnant, God always has a remnant. Uh, throughout church history, there, there are always those true believers, those who are legit, that are really the blood bought, that when the going gets difficult and tough, uh, that they persevere. Remember the church at Thyatira, the name meant continual sacrifice. And we saw that through the dark ages of history, which that is the period of time that that church covered, that for basically a thousand years, the, the Word of God uh, was held captive, a prisoner by the state, by the, by the Roman church, um, the, the Roman Catholic Church and, and it was kept from the people and those uh, customs and those uh, ceremonial things took precedent over the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. The people were, were dumb, they were illiterate, ignorant to the things of God and so they were taken advantage of and for a thousand years through the dark ages of history uh, just life as we know it plummeted in so many ways. Uh, the, the average uh, life ex expectancy through the dark ages of history, was around 30 years old. I mean, if you, if you made it to 30, I mean, man, you were living the dream, man. 
It just wasn't likely. There were so many plagues. And, and this was all out of the judgment of God for their uh, desire to take the word and, and to hold it and to keep it captive and to not speak the truth and preach the word uh, faithfully. And so uh, the, the government, which the church and the government were one, and they had a, uh, you know, they locked the word of God, the truth, down and held it from the people. And so for a thousand years, God's saints suffered. And so now we move into this period in, in, in the Great Reformation that is the beginning of not only the discovery of the truth, but this is also the, the beginning, the, the very framework and the foundation of what we would call later as Western civilization, which is what you and I, at least at this point, are continuing to live and to be a part of, Western civilization. Uh, the, the things that, that, that made America unique, this was foundational to that, okay? And so he begins with saying that you believe something about yourself, but I've got a different take. I've got a different uh, uh, truth here that I want to share with you. I want to share uh, an honest assessment of what's going on. And so as always, the message goes to the messenger, uh, to the pastor of that church, and, of course, we see some interesting verbiage there in verse 1. Uh, we see the fullness of God and the seven spirits of God, the completion of God. And he says, you know, I know your works. See, God knows our works. Amen. God looks beyond the, the exterior things and He sees our heart. And God even sees our motivation. God sees our motivation of what it is or why it is that we do what we are doing. God knows those things. Uh, and when you go and you start reading through the Gospels, you know, John the Baptist is down by the river. And he is, uh, he's, he's baptizing and he's preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, uh, and here come the Pharisees, right? And, uh, and uh, John the Baptist, being politically correct, says to the religious elite of the day, brood of vipers, right? He just calls them out for who they are. You're a bunch of snakes. Jesus would say of the same people that you're a whitewashed tomb. You're white, you look pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Uh, and so Christ gave this honest assessment that, there was, that there's always been and there always will be a group of people that they're worried about this out here and not this in here. And God knows this in here which is why God's more worried about what's down here so that if this gets fixed, all of this will get fixed in time. We, we go about it the opposite way. We want to fix all of these things and we think that if we fix all of that, we'll be right with God. And God says, no, that's not the way it works. I'm willing to fix this in here, pour my righteousness into you as my child, and then these other things will change, right? That's the difference between conforming and being transformed by the power of God. The world doesn't care about who you are. The world cares about what you do. That's why we're living in a culture today that if you say the right thing or you speak the right thing, you're all good. Thumbs up. But the minute you start talking about truth or something that's real or reality now, uh, thumbs down, man. We're going to try to counsel you out. You know... I'm not a big basketball guy. Uh, I mean, that's just not my thing. I'm 5'7", okay? Uh, that may have something to do with it. But I'm just not a big basketball don't, don't really care about the NBA. But, but over the past couple of weeks, there's been this great controversy 
uh, by a guy that lives in New York, plays for the Nets, and his name is Kyrie Irving. And he is accused of being the most anti-Semitic person on the planet right now. And I have tried my best to find out why this guy is so evil. And I've only come to this, okay? Don't know the guy, never watched him dribble a ball in my life. But to my understanding, this is why he's anti-Semitic. This is why he hates all Jewish people, evidently. Because he put on his social media a documentary that talks about Jewish people in some way. Don't care what it says because not interested. So I thought, and obviously, well, this guy must have produced the documentary then. No. Uh, well, why is the person that didn't make the thing anti-Semitic? Why is Amazon who platforms the thing for millions of people to see, why are they not anti-Semitic? Why is the guy that just posts something on his social media the anti-Semitic guy? Well, I think I know the answer to that. And it has a lot to do with this, hey boy, you know your place, and it's at the back of the bus, man. That's what this is about. This is about know your role and shut your hole. That's what this is about. You don't speak unless it's approved, man. I don't care who you are. That's the culture we live in today. Our world's not looking for truth. Our world's not looking for truth. Our world is looking for what's checking the boxes and furthering their agenda of people conforming to what they believe is the standard that what they want to accept. And I want to tell you something. Jesus blows that up. Because he's not interested. God has a standard. And it ain't what's being printed in the newspapers today. If, if we still have a newspaper. I don't even know if we do, but... It's, it's not what's flowing through your news feed. It's what rests between this fake leather here. Bonded leather. Maybe you got the real deal, but I mean, or, or hardback. It's what is in the pages of what we've understood. And this particular period of time of church history, this is that battle that's taking place. There is this cultural Con, uh, confirmation idea that the government, that the, that the Roman Catholic Church, they get to determine what is truth. And then there was this remnant who said, no, God determines what's truth. And we're willing to risk our lives. We're willing to go public and be counseled and being ridiculed and even lose our life if it means for taking this word and getting it into the hands of God's people. And for anybody who wants to know the truth, what a sacrifice, man. I always love Tyndall and, and just, you know, the, the idea that, you know, I'll make the plowboy know more about the Word of God than the priest. Because, see, he believed that if I put it in a language that they could understand, they would embrace it through the power of the Holy Spirit. They would believe it and they'd repent. And so here we are. We're in this, you know, I mean, October 31st, 1517. Martin Luther nails that thesis to the door there in uh, Wittenberg. And uh, nothing wrong with the door. He just took a hammer to it because the theology was messed up. And uh, that was a good joke. Now, you've got to admit, that was a good joke. I mean, come on, people. Give me some love this morning, man. Anyway. No, he was interested in wrecking the theology. 
And you know, in hindsight, I, w- I would say personally that maybe he didn't go far enough. But the reality is there was this point during this particular time, there was a church that be- they were going, they were doing what they wanted to do, they were growing in number, They were growing a number, building great cathedrals, having some form of godliness, but yet they denied the power of that gospel. Folks, I'm your pastor. I love you. You know, the the father to me of the modern day pastor was Peter. And there as he stood on the bank before the Lord there, he, you know, God gave him a charge three times. He said, you feed my sheep, you feed my lambs. You give them the truth. I cannot save you. There's not some formal uh, ritual that you can do uh, that I can, I can tell you, blah, 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 blah. I can do. It, it is about you personally owning your sin, repenting of that sin, and trusting Christ and what He did on the cross, that it is completely sufficient for you. That is what salvation is. It's not about me. Yes, I'm called to give you the counsel of the Word and to be faithful in that. Yes, that is is the call. But I cannot save you. I do not have... I've heard Brother Gary Cadwell say it. If I've heard him say it one time, he said it a hundred. I've never been able to preach anybody into heaven and I sure wouldn't be condemning anybody to hell. I don't have the power to do that. But I have the Word, man. And, and this morning and, and every Sunday morning and Sunday evening as, as I step into this pulpit, I want everybody that's taking up a place on this pew to know there is a God that loves them and there is a word that is truth. And if we will embrace that word and the gospel call to our lives, we can be eternally saved and secure through Jesus Christ. That hasn't changed no matter what age of church history we're in. And so these men began to take the word and put it into the language that uh, the vernacular or uh, the, the common vernacular, they, they would call it in England the vulgar. <laughs> you know, we have a, a different opinion about what is vulgar today. Their version of, of vulgar was if, if, if you, you know, the, to have the word of God in a common language, that's vulgar. just the times in, 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 in which they found themselves. Uh, the obstacles that they were up against. I mean, the political language at the time of history that, that we're talking about this morning, the, the political language in, in England. <laughs> the political language in England was, was French. Is that not bizarre to you? That in the country of England, the political language, the governmental official language was French. And, the, and the, the church language was even worse. It was Latin. And then you had the good old boys out here and, and everyday folks that made everything work. And they taught, they taught in you know, English, not like what we speak today, but yeah, older English, but it, nevertheless it was different. They referred to that as the vulgar. I mean, to the church of that day, to, to have a young man to be able to read the Scriptures, they thought it was a, a very foreign and, and quite honestly, an evil thing. Folks, listen to me. I want to be clear on this. I want the truth. That's what I want. 
I want the truth. And if it runs counter to my opinion, then you know what? It just needs to slice up my opinion. We have to learn these lessons. If we don't, we're bound to repeat them over and over and over again. So God gives them an assessment here. He says, you got a lot going on. And man, they did. They had a lot going on. He says, I know your works. You have a name that you think you're alive, but you're dead. You're dead. Church full of people, but you're dead. A lot of stuff going on, but you're dead. Busyness does not mean godliness. Business does not mean righteous. Christ gave them an assessment that was a rude awakening to the reality that they saw themselves in. They had a reputation. In other words, you, you got a, a reputation. That, that's what men think. You're, you're alive in your assessment. You're active. Got stuff going on. That's what men see. But the Lord said, you're dead. There's a standard that the world judges, and then there's the standard in which God will use. And the Bible's very clear that heaven and earth are going to pass away. The grass is going to wither and the flower's going to fade, but the word of the Lord is going to endure forever. That's, that's the standard. And when we'd rather have function and busyness over Christ's likeness, the assessment's still true today. You're busy, you have a reputation, but you're dead. I think about this church and I think about Sardis, you know, as a, as a, as a city in which this church resided in. It was up on a hill. It was, you know, difficult. There was only really kind of one way to get into the place and so it was, it was thought to be safe. Nobody could overtake it. Only, I mean, only nobody could scale the cliffs that led up to it. You'd have to go into the one, the one road that led into it. So it'd be easily able you know, to defend itself. It was safe. So, so, so the people there, they had their level of comfort. And they just kind of were lulled to sleep with that. We, we see this in our world today. We're, we're lulled asleep by our comfort. We're lulled asleep in the idea that when it comes to missions and things of that nature that, that we don't personally have to take responsibility. And I'm grateful for the things that we do and we talk about as a church, but at the end of the day, I don't need to know that at work you have a Bible study going on. I'm, I'm grateful if that's, if that's happening, hallelujah. But I don't need to know about it. God knows about it. Uh, if, if, you're into, if you love your neighbors and, and you, are, uh, you have uh, some type of, of, of fellowship with them and where uh, you, are, uh, you love them and you, you share the love of Christ with them, uh, in a sense you're, you're, you're mission-minded in that way, hey, I don't need to know about that. God already knows about it. 
just be alive. He says, all of these, you know, this, this, these external things that are going on, man, that's, that's, that's good. But, but you can do all of those things that still be dead in your heart of hearts. Anybody in those 200 years, anywhere in the known world that encompassed Europe of that day, it did not matter where you went, whatever countryside you walked into, you know what you were going to find? A church building. And there was going to be some, some bishop, some priest, you know, there for you to come and confess to and to take part in, the, in, 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 in sacraments and these kinds of things. I mean, it was, it's everywhere. It wasn't that there wasn't a church. It wasn't that there didn't have some familiarity with, with this idea. It wasn't that they were not being visible. It's just they were dead. There's a big difference. Christ says, you think you're alive, but you're dead. You're dead. Your works, they're They're dead. So we had this foundation, he says, the, the, the key here is to be watchful and to strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. I, I used this illustration uh, earlier with some of the younger folks. And, you know, if you, if you go to the doctor and you have an infection and they check you out, you've been running a fever and they determine you got, you know, some big long name or something and they're going to, you know, say, you need to go get this field. This is an antibiotic. And, you know, take it for a couple of weeks and, and uh, you'll be fine. And, and you know, you, you, you get the prescription, but you just decide to say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And you keep getting sicker and you get sicker and you get sicker and, and maybe you eventually die from it. Some bad stuff out there. He says, look, if, if you don't strengthen if you don't look to my solution, the rest of it will die. So this remnant that was there at Sardis, that which remained, what did they do? They understood, they were able to discern the times and they understood that the Word of God was the key to spiritual revival. Folks, in our culture today, there is nobody that cannot have access to the Word of God. It's everywhere. I mean, you know, it, you can put it on your phone. You can go look it up online. There's books and, you know, like I said, you can get a hardback book. You can get a, a show enough leather one if you want to pay that kind of money for it. I mean, you can get every color. I mean, they see foam green out here. There's teal blue. I mean, scarlet red. I mean, you can just come up with every kind of color you can imagine, and you can go find it, man. It's everywhere. Big Bibles, thin Bibles, large print Bibles, which I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan of every day. The Word of God abounds, and we still struggle. said strengthen that which is remaining or it too will die you got to be watchful you got to strengthen remember therefore what you've received and heard he's talking about the word and repent and he said if you don't judgment's going to come and it'll come quickly 
there's a few. There's a remnant there that has not defiled their garments. Now he's mentioning this idea of white garments and it's interesting because Sardis, like most places, they had their temple, they had their festivals, they did horrible, horrific, very perverted things at these festivals. But, but there was one common theme throughout the, the city that when these festivals were there, uh, whether it was a day, a weekend, or a, a week, or whatever, that whenever the festivals went on, the proper attire to wear to the festival was white clothing. That was symbolic, uh, you know, of what was going on. It was an idea of being festive and joyful. And so Jesus uses their understanding of this. And he's saying, you know, you, you, you're getting on your white outfit, and you're, you're just soiling yourselves. You're, you're, perverting, you're perverted and you're, you're polluting that which I died for. And you look on the outside and you see that, that oh, you're festive and you're joyful and, and, and it's white and you just think, man, I've got it going on. And he says, you're dead. And he says, let me tell you about the true garment the kind of garments that I see, the kind of garments that Christ looks upon. It's the inner garment. He calls it the white robe. The, the white robe that we'll wear in heaven one day. That we're not worried about what everybody else is focused on, but we're focused on that which means something to the Lord. Because he mentions that we're in this battle, we're in this struggle. struggle. And in verse 5 he talks about the overcomer. The one who is victorious shall be clothed with white garments. Folks, there are plenty of people that make professions of faith, and, and it's fine. They're, they're good to go. But, but when things get tough, you read through the parable of the soils, there's, there's a lot of people there that have some type of, of spiritual work that accompanies their, quote, profession of faith at least for a while. But the thorns of life choke it out. The lack of depth, discipleship, doesn't feed it and it dies. And it is only the person where the soul uh, that, is, that is nurtured and it is good that the gospel brings forth fruit over and over and over and over again. Call that the perseverance of the saints. The reality is that God's people, we don't quit. We don't shut up and back up and give up. But we persevere so that we'll be known as those who overcome. By what? By the Word. The Word of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a real adversary, folks. We have a real adversary. Uh, you know... He's not running around in the red unitard, but he's active. And you know what? When, when I look at the Reformation and I, and I think about what happened, the devil just didn't say, well, man, they got the word in the language of everybody. and Guys, I guess we lost. Let's just go home. That's not what the devil said. And it's interesting that once this Reformation happened, now understand there's no, there's no America at this time, okay? You got Asia, you got Europe, right? Africa, you got, as my seventh grade teacher would say, Africa, you got those places? 
Asia, you know, got those places. We did a lot of coloring in the seventh grade in my social studies class, but anyway, of, of a particular continent in particular, but I won't go into detail, but anyway, uh, that, that's all there were. That's all, that's all it was. And as the church through the word of God broke free from the idolatry that was present in the Roman Catholic Church, and as they broke up and they split up in different places of Europe and in Asia, one thing still remained. That after a while, after the joy and after the fire of having the truth, eventually, you know what happened? It cooled off. And you know what happened? They all settled back down into certain denominations that were controlled by the state. In other words, the very thing that they fled from they ended up settling down in something that ended up looking a lot like it. For, for instance, you, you didn't get rid of the, of, of the Roman Catholic Church. It was still present. But you had the Eastern Orthodox over in Russia. You had the Reformed uh, Church up in the, the regions of the Dutch area. You had the Presbyterians, the Calvinists, the Lutherans. And they were all divided up. And many of them had good doctrine, but they were still united with the state. In other words, governments in, in, in the city of, you know, uh, of Sweden or whatever, in the nation of Sweden, we were still going to be, we, we were going to be Lutheran exclusively. Uh, over in Ireland, we were going to have half that were going to be Roman Catholics and then half that were going to be Anglican or the Church of England. England would be entirely the Church of England. That, not surprising. That's what they did. And, and it was still a problem. The state and the church were still one, even though they had the word and they had good doctrine. But as I said, this was foundational for something else. This was foundational for the next period of church history. We need to understand something today. The concept... The concept of a free, autonomous church, meaning that the, the church had no allegiance to a state or a government. That idea that was common in the first century of the church would not make its way back into a nation exclusively until the foundation of America. There... there the, the idea that the very first the, the, that restricts the power of the federal government was that they shall make no law that affects in any way the free exercise of religion. That was uncommon until the birth of America. When, as I said before, Whenever the church and the state are united, it's a problem. And understand this idea that we have the truth, we have autonomy, and we're going to worship the Lord as the scriptures dictate. That being separated from any influence of anybody else was a foreign thing until the nation of America. It, 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 
that's, that was the church in Acts. But for these hundreds and hundreds of years, the state and the, and the church merged. Here we are today. And what, what are we seeing? We're seeing a merger between the church and the government. We're seeing it slowly but surely. We're even seeing that in, in denominations. I mean, folks, we're, we're Southern Baptists, but today this, this church, though we support mission activity, we do not send a dollar to a seminary and we do not send a dollar to the overhead, the administrative aspect of it. Why? Because there are those in our own denomination that love the thought of being an evangelical pope. And it's wrong. And, and, and we, we're in that same scenario today. Look, look over the last couple years with the rise of COVID and all of the fallout of that. Folks, our denominational leaders, our denominational leaders were saying there's no way we should not meet. We should, we should double mass, triple mass, quadruple mass. We should mask, mask, mask. If you love your neighbor, mask, 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 mask. We promoted Francis Collins. We promoted the BioLogos group. As a denomination, we did those things. Because many of our mega churches, we did not want to lay off people, so we took the money. And because of that, we were tied to those who gave the money. It is a terrible thing when the government and the church unite. And what are we going, what are we, where are we ending up? We're ending up at that. You think about our world today, how balkanized we are. You look at the election and people, you know, some guy, he's like, well, this is why, we, this, is why this group lost, this is why this group won, it's this issue, that issue. No, folks, you look, at, you look at the map. Look at the map. The map's very simple. The states that love freedom, they got more conservative. The states that love tyranny, they got bluer. The balkanization of our nation. There is coming a day, mark my words, where we're going to be convening meetings between governors and we're going to, I don't know what we'll call it, but it'll basically be, hey, these are the freedom-loving states of America right here. And we're going to see people moving into these areas. And why is that? Because it is setting the stage. Listen to me very carefully. This is not political rhetoric. This is, this is reading the paper, man. There's coming a day when... We're going to be so balkanized. There's going to be so much tension. It doesn't matter what, what ad you run. It doesn't matter. We're going to do our thing and you're going to do your thing. And it's meant to be that way because there's going to be a day when there's going to be one man that will be able to rise above all of it and say, hey, let's all get along. I've heard that conversation over the last two weeks. That very conversation. We're so divided as a nation. I wonder if we'll ever have a leader 
that will be able to unite us again. Yeah, you will. Yeah, you absolutely will. And they won't have the church in the way. We're headed for that. This age of our history is unique to our, our founding as a nation. The fact that you and I have a Bible in our hand today goes back to the reality that this period of time existed. And that it would give way to a greater time that we'll talk about next week. But what time is it? You know, I, I, I ask that question throughout this series. series. What time is it? It's time to wake up, folks. That's what time it is. And, and it's interesting, just as Jesus told the church, you say you're alive, but you're dead. Our culture is using a term today called woke. you got to be woke. These folks are asleep in regressive paganism, man. Denying reality. And yet, their ideology is woke. We awake. To what? The demons of hell? I mean, the Bible says, Woe to the nation who calls what? Good evil and evil good? There's a way that seems right, but the end is destruction? These things are happening. It's time to wake up. Living a Christian life for the glory of God. It's time for the church to realize that being successful is not about names, noses, and numbers for crying out loud, but it's about Christ's likeness. That genuine godliness is a foundation for moral goodness. Jesus said there's no one good but God. And we'll never be good without God. And we can talk about what America was. It is not what it used to be. And the reason it is not is because we have left the God of the Scriptures. And we've neglected that. So great of a salvation, we've neglected it. And finally, God is always faithful to reward His people for their faithfulness to Him. Folks, I, I, you know, I didn't stay up all night wondering what who's going to win Arizona because the answer is they don't know who's going to win Arizona and they never will evidently or a handful of other states we, we, we can't even count today in our culture we're so bad we can't even count today you count the whole nation of Brazil in three hours and we can't count a state of a few million people in weeks we're, we're just we're, we've taken dumb to a whole new level man proud of it actually we're, we're proud of it wearing it as a badge of honor I'm not concerned. And the reason I'm not concerned is because I serve a God who's been there, done that. He's seen it. These things are working together for His good, for our good, for His glory. And what's it going to require? It's going to require faithfulness. It's time to wake up. It's time to be faithful. Don't be fearful. Be faithful. Be faithful. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for, God, we, we thank you for this time in which you've chosen, Lord, that we would occupy. That, God, you've given us a charge in this hour to be the sons of Issachar, Lord, 
to be able to discern what time it is. God, I'm grateful that we're in a situation today where there is not a political solution, Lord. There's only a God solution. God, help us to realize with all fervency and zeal today that the battle belongs to the Lord. You have a side. May we be on that side. Help us to be faithful and true. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand, church.